This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome back to the K Hole. I'm Merritt, and joining me this week is uh, a, uh, a friend of mine uh, who has appeared on the previous iteration of the show uh, a couple times, but it's been a while. Uh, it's puppeteer Greg Erskine. Hi, Merritt. Hi, Greg. How have you been? I've been good. How have you been? I've been all over the place, but right now I'm pretty good. Excellent. So, That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I just, I just made a banh mi and it was really incredible. So I, Tell me what was in the banh mi. Okay, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you all about my sandwich and then we can talk about <laughs> it. Um, it was uh, like I, I marinated some tofu, some pressed tofu in like um, curry powder and tamari and a few other things. Nice. Um, grilled that. And then that was on there. I had cilantro. I had a, a, a radish carrot, um, you know, pickle, but not pickle, just, I guess, just, you know, what would you call that? Is that a slaw at that point? A quick pickle. A quick pickle. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, a little. You could call pickle. it a slaw, but it. Okay, I feel like it's more impressive to say I quick pickled this I, than yeah, I, I, I slotted. I quick pickled some radishes and some carrots with uh, rice vinegar and uh, um, some other stuff. And then um, I made a, a spicy vegan mayo by combining store-bought vegan mayo <laughs> with yeah. uh, sriracha and some other stuff. And um, it's real tasty. Nice. Did you throw maggi sauce on there at all? No. What is that? That has been, every time I've made a banh mi, I feel like that has been like the huge thing that made a difference. Um, and like the times that I haven't been able to find it, I've had to like replicate it by using like a mixture of like, I think I used like soy sauce and Worcestershire and mm. maybe fish sauce. Um, but it's like this savory sauce that I guess like they throw on banh mi in a lot of places. And uh, it is really fantastic it adds like a lot of umami to it Ooh, that sounds really good i I will have to look into that um yeah i've just i've just been you know trying to learn to cook this year that's kind of been like my big thing but i've always been um very um impressed and inspired by your your cooking because i think of you as like a prolific cook in many ways um Oh, thank you. I I just think about um, 
we may have talked about this the last time that you were on actually, but how you've made things like pretzels, which is probably not that complicated, but just I've never <laughs> even heard of anyone doing, which is pretty cool. It's pretty straightforward. It's, I mean, it's basically like a little bread and then you dip it in some kind of lye before you bake it. Yeah, that's what gets me. I'm like, oh, lye. <laughs> Do you not have a giant bottle of lye in your house a, at all times? I don't have a vat of lye mm. in case I need to dis- dissolve some. No, wait, lye is basic. Uh, yes. Um, uh, yeah. Basic. But you could dissolve things. things dissolve in organic it. material. Acid dissolves inorganic. Is that no? That can't be right. I think it varies by material because acid doesn't dissolve a whole bunch of things, but it also yeah. I think, depends on the acid. Okay. Oh gosh, now I'm. Oh no. Oh no. It's clear that I am not a chemist. Me neither. I sometimes wish I had paid more attention in chemistry class, but I don't think that's possible in middle school. Uh, or high school. Yeah. Um, no, I feel like high school chemistry for me dovetailed with like high school depression, and that was like the yeah. class I did the absolute worst in. Oh yeah, same. I mean, it was one of them. I, <laughs> I think there was maybe a, a multiple way draw, for me. But um, yeah, I wanted uh, I wanted to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. Just it's been, it's been a while, and I'm sure, I have asked you some of these things in the past. So forgive me if they. They are repeats. Um, sure. Uh, so I have I saw the movie um, Being John Malkovich recently. Yes. And um, a big part of that movie is is puppetry. Yes. Uh, you are familiar with the film. I am, although it's been years since I've seen it. Um, I just, I the I mean the there's the idea of of puppetry I think is used in so many ways in that movie, but. Um, the idea that like, I mean, there's associations with like a puppet master because, um, uh, John Cusack's character is a major creep and he's, you know, trying to pull (laughs) the strings. There's all these puppetry metaphors that we have. Uh, but then there's also like the idea that John Malkovich becomes insane, like even more famous than he already is by becoming a puppeteer. Yes. I love that. That's so endearing to me. Like... Have you seen the the original ending, like the pressy about the original ending? No. I guess there was like some ending where like there's like a puppet off in the style of like the devil went down to Georgia. Okay. Where like uh, John Malkovich challenges Satan to like a puppetry duel. Wow. Uh, and like they have to like do it in front of an audience. And like, I forget exactly what happens, but it's like way crazier than like the actual movie is. Wow. I have not, no, I hadn't heard about that. That's even yeah. crazier. Yeah. Wow. I think, yeah, there's like a bit where it's like Sean Penn. <laughs> of all people is is there and he's just like yeah you know i would be doing it right now but i don't want to seem like a copycat but i bet you know in like five or ten years like all big hollywood actors will just be like will be puppeteers yes and like unfortunately <laughs> it's a shame that we do not live in that world that would be a very different world and like i've been thinking for whatever reason maybe just because of that movie maybe some other stuff but about puppetry a lot lately and i'm i was wondering like what got you into it in the first place? I think because 
I mean, it's a, a very accessible thing in the same way that like cartooning is, where like when you're a little kid, you can do it just on your own anywhere with like whatever creatures you've got, um, like stuffed animals and such to pretend they're puppets. Um, and like, you know, similarly, like you can just like sit down and draw something. Um, and it's like the kind of thing that I think it scales really well from like a knowledge of like zero knowledge to like, oh, I can like make this a little bit better by, you know, altering this like mouth shape or uh, changing the way that like the eyes on this puppet look. And like you mm. like can learn little bits in a way that is very uh, satisfying and immediate where you like you see differences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, was, I also like, oh, sorry. Oh, I mean, I was just thinking like you were saying how easy it is to do on your own and like, probably one of the first human forms of like you know artistic practice right it's gotta be yeah right just putting your hands and and making shadows and stuff like that's what the, the cave is about um yeah the plato's cave it's real real ancient stuff yeah and i feel like even like when you're having conversations with people often you know when you're pretending to talk as someone else you know you'll do like the little thing with your hand where like you're making your hand talk like the mm -hmm. person that you're saying is talking that's got to be like a a very basic human yeah i mean I, I assume that's a very like basic instinctual thing although maybe there was like originally some person that came up with it and was like <laughs> telling a story and like came up with the idea to make their hand a little mouth and everyone else is like oh my god that's awesome i mean then you could <laughs> then you could argue that we were predisposed to adopting that and it was just a matter of time until someone invented it. Yes. But um, do you know much about VTubers? I don't. This is the thing where it's like a little CGI marionette type thing? Yeah, yeah. It's something that I've been so like interested in, but also just like really overwhelmed by over the past like couple of years. Uh. Um. It's essentially like, yeah, like virtual puppeting um, because like you you have software set up that that tracks your your body or your your face and it manipulates this like character mm -hmm. as you're doing that. And um, like it's interesting because I always think of puppeteering as like I tend to think and like I think the image of puppeteering is that it is kind of like a niche um, a niche form that basically you get to do it if you're like the Muppets, if you're like <laughs> at a kid's library or like doing some very like intense artistic piece. Um, yeah. Or making an ill-advised, like what if Muppets were fucked up kind of TV show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, but, the perennial favorite. <laughs> but VTubers are like immensely popular. Like the, the concept has exploded so much and um, in the same way as puppeteering, like you often don't have any real connection with like you're connecting with this character and there's a person behind it, but you don't know who they are. Um, yeah. And your relationship is more with this character than with this person. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I find really fascinating is like when you are doing puppet stuff, like especially in front of kids, like they know that there is a person that is controlling the puppet, but like right. they will still talk to the puppet and adults <laughs> do this too. Like yeah. if you like, have a puppet on your hand and you're like talking to someone like they'll look at the puppet and converse with the <laughs> puppet and like it is it's like a very interesting 
Um, have you read Things Fall Apart? I have. There's like a part in there where it talks about this religious ceremony where all of like the elders of the the nation are um, they're wearing masks to be the gods, mm. um, and like the narrative voice says like it kind of implies that like everyone knows who it is that's wearing the masks, but like it doesn't. They're still interacting with them as mm. the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I feel like there is that, again, like a very instinctual thing where like people can simultaneously hold the knowledge that like, yes, this is an inanimate object that someone is controlling. And also it is like a full-fledged personality that I'm interacting with. that's wild i mean like it i think speaks to like our willingness to attribute like humanity to or almost our eagerness to like to see humanity in in other things like in animals as well yeah um yeah yeah it's (laughs) um it's funny because yeah like you're saying like obviously kids will will do this um and there isn't necessarily that belief that like, oh, this puppet is like alive, but is maybe there's some kind of like magic process whereby the puppet becomes a person through the assistance of the puppeteer. Yeah. Um, but then like when adults are kind of, you know, uh, doing that too, it's like there is like this suspension of belief that's like very immediate and like maybe almost like pre-conscious, I think. I think so too. Yeah, it's it's because it's not like you're like pretending that it, there's not like a like this sense of remove where like you've decided to pretend that Kermit is real. Right. When you're talking to Kermit, like it's that you like something in your brain just like clicks. Like yeah, I'm talking to this guy now. And then, like, you know, someone were to, like, come, it's like a police investigator were to come along and ask you, like, is Kermit real? You'd be like, no, I know he's not real. Like, uh, you can, like, switch into that mode very, very easily without it being something that is, like, it doesn't necessarily need to be, like, a a self-deception or, like, a jump in logic. It's just, like, yeah, this is, like, one level of truth and there's also a different level of truth, but like, you know, I can switch back and forth very easily between these two levels. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why puppets make some people uncomfortable too. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. because they, they are these objects. I mean, it's like kind of uncanny Valley stuff, but also it's because it's not just a representation of a person. It's like an interactive representation of a person and it can kind of, yeah, straddle and blur that boundary of like what is a person and like what is real. And um, I've known yeah. several people who really don't like the Muppets because they're afraid of them. And so <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It, it's a real thing. Yeah. And like certainly, yeah, the closer you get to like a real person, 
I feel like the more you jump into that, you know, Uncanny Valley territory. Um, have you seen the the Land of Confusion video? From oh Genesis? God, yeah, those, that's the, horrible. It has the puppets from um, Spitting Image, right? <laughs> yes, which like I didn't know was like an actual TV show when I was a kid, and I was oh just like God. the most horrifying humans on it's, earth. <laughs> like, come up with a music video. <laughs> it's just, it's they they somehow made some of the most terrifying people in the world look scarier. Um, yes. It, if you haven't, if you don't know what spinning images and you haven't seen these puppets before, I would advise caution in, in looking <laughs> them up because I definitely saw a video or, or like a, a clip or like part of one of those shows when I was very young, very late at night. And it, hmm. uh, it really upset me a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like the Genesis video like freaked me out it's when bad. I was a little kid. It's rough. It's, yeah. It's terrible. Uh, what is your cat's name again? My cat's name is Ramona. Ramona. Do you have a voice for Ramona? Do I have do? a voice for Ramona? Um, it's funny because uh, I don't have a voice for her, but like I would say that I have a voice that I like. I have a voice that I talk to her with, but it's also kind of like hard to say. Like if I am speaking for her or if I'm just repeating things that you might say to a baby um <laughs> can, can you give me an example okay of um hmm uh I, I guess sometimes i'll say things that i'm not sure if i'm encouraging her or just like narrating her thought process like you know she'll like mm. roll over on the carpet and then i'll i'll like spread my my hands out on her belly to help her like stretch out and just go big stretch and yeah. uh, i'm not sure in that moment whether i'm like oh, this is like what she's thinking or I'm like, yeah, you can do it. Maybe it's both. Gotcha. Do you have a, a voice for your animals? <sighs> Not really, but I feel like a, a lot of folks with pets do. And I yeah. feel like that is probably somewhat adjacent to like the the puppet personality thing where like your brain just kind of like switches into the mode of like communicating with a creature that like... Um, you know, this is not their actual words, but like you're kind yeah. of like imagining and giving voice to the words that you think that they would be saying, and usually in like a funny little voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you start to like kind of build up like a, a personality of of an animal in that way, and like not to say that they don't in themselves have like that animals don't have personalities. It's not that we're just like making them up or whatever. But like my point is that like. People, I think, are really like people will fill in the blanks, right? Um, of like, of a, a puppet or like a character or an animal as like a person by just sort of like inventing stories or being like, oh, of course they did that because she's a little doofus or whatever, right? Yeah, I feel like a lot of what, um, like the the kind of basic stuff that Scott McCloud says about cartooning often applies to puppets as well, mm. where like. Uh, you're making something that is like intentionally simplified so that people can kind of like hang a imagined personality on like a very spare outline. Yeah. And if you make it too detailed, then you get into spitting image territory where no one wants to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most, yeah, the most iconic puppets are, are very simple, no. very iconic designs that just you know, one or two colors, 
big expressive faces, um, a certain silhouette or something. Do you have any particular favorite puppets? Do I have any favorite puppets? Oh my God. Um, I don't, see, I got in trouble a couple months ago online for saying that, um, for implying that there were some Muppets that I didn't like as much as other Muppets. (laughs) How did you get in trouble about this? Apparently there is a very, a very um, vocal audience of Muppets fans who are rather young and I think might be under the impression that the Muppets fandom is like quite small when in fact it's (laughs) one of the largest media franchises uh, of the past century. Yeah. Um, And so they feel very defensive and I understand that, but I don't, the Pepe the Prawn, I don't care for him. And um, there's another one. Oh, um, Janice, I think her name is, but my favorite puppets. um, You don't like Janice. I just don't like how she doesn't open her eyes. I think she should sure. she should wake up, you know? Just like yeah. you're a professional um mm. in a band and yeah. and you're not even looking like just I don't know. That that doesn't really speak to like a good work, work ethic to me and like if I were part of the Muppets, like it's a business, right? And um mm. just, you know, take it seriously or like or go home. Sure. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, off the top of my head, I I have a hard time thinking of uh my favorite puppets. I'm, you know, I like the I like the Sesame Street classics. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, Big Bird was always a a fave, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I like Ralph. Ralph. Oh yeah, the dog. Yeah, great fuzzy uh, fuzzy design. How about you? What are your favorite puppets? Gosh, I don't know. You mentioned Ralph, and I had forgotten until. I showed my kids the I love the Muppet movie, um, and I don't particularly like any of the other Muppet movies after it. Uh-huh. Um, but the Muppet movie is like I, I think like it might be in like my top ten favorite movies yeah. of all time. Um, and like I'd forgotten until I showed it to my kids how much Ralph is just like I'm a dog and I've got depression. <laughs> like yeah. that's like his whole thing. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think like years of like getting. Ralph ephemera through like Muppet Babies mm. and uh, other Muppet related properties that like got further and further afield from mm-hmm. um, like the, the the core beginnings of the Muppets. Um, you get the sense that like Ralph is just like a dog who plays the piano, right. and, like has like goes on adventures with the other Muppets, and like in the Muppet movie, his life is really grim. Uh, yeah. He's just like very alone and sad, and like, but also at peace with that sadness, and just like, uh, that's like his whole role in the movie. <laughs> like Kermit shows up, and he's like, "I am incredibly sad," and Ralph is like, "Yeah, life will do that." <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I don't know. Does Gizmo count as a puppet? Sure. I don't know if Absolutely. Gizmo's a puppet Gosh, ever- or like a. I, I love the gremlins. <laughs> or a real person. I think the gremlins are, are really great. And um and Yoda also obviously classic, mm. classic uh Muppet puppet. I had a dream a couple of weeks ago that George Lucas was intent on making Yoda smoke parliaments in every scene <laughs> of the Empire Strike Back. Um and I like woke up and spent like a solid thirty minutes like photoshopping Parliament cigarettes into Yoda scenes. <laughs> Oh my god. Incredible. 
Um, oh, I thought of another puppet, which is um, in Angels in America, um, the the play. There's um, when they they mounted it in 2018. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where an angel shows up to just yell at someone. Um, sure. And they made a puppet for this that was like so scary. Like it was like someone wearing this suit of wings, but then there were people carrying like puppets behind it that like made them part of the wings as they flapped. Um, ah. And it was incredibly unnerving and beautiful. Uh, they went for like yeah, a right. scary angel look rather than a, uh, a beautiful one. Oh, I'm looking at photos of this right now, and this is incredible. Yeah, it's hard to... Um, yeah, okay, yeah, if you search images, yeah. It's, there's almost like... Yeah, no, there's people puppeteering the wings is how is what they were doing, yeah. Um, I love how spare the wings are. Right, they're like almost plucked, like they're they're yeah. bare. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other puppets that I really... I feel like there's so many in like... Like the Angels in the America, uh, Angels in America one reminds me a lot of like the um, like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth ones. Oh God! Where there's like so many different ways that things are being controlled. Um, yeah. That like aren't necessarily just like the the hand in the mouth, you know, sock puppet style type. Um, that like it's fascinating to watch and like kind of. Like it, they're very captivating on like a first watch, but then like when you go back and watch, it's also really fun to kind of like try to figure out like who is pulling what where exactly. Yeah. God, um, that movie. I still haven't actually seen that movie um, as an adult. I saw it. Which one? Um, oh, sorry, Dark Crystal. Oh. Okay. Um, it it really really unnerved me when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, same. I mean, the Skeksis are are creepy, of course, and they're they're very scary. But also, just the little rat people. I don't know. They <laughs> they just they they look too close to people. Um, yes, yes. I think is my problem with them. And the Skeksis, yeah, yeah, they're big, scary bird monsters. But like, there's rat people too. Yeah. Um, I think the thing I am like a hundred percent with you on this. That like when I was a kid, I was like, "Wow, this is not this is not fun to look at." <laughs> um, but like I think they're like yeah the uh, the protagonist was like much scarier than the Skeksis to me because the movie the movie wants you to know that the Skeksis are scary and like mm. encourages you to think that the Skeksis are scary. But then like it also wants you to like root for this horrible little gray alien creature guy um, which like is much more unsettling yeah (laughs) yeah it's very smooth i mean yeah like i was i'm thinking about it and i'm realizing that i was scared by some puppets when i was a kid um not just not just dark crystal but definitely there are other movies where where i had that experience and yeah i think part of it was that you know um, I was a very anxious child, and mm-hmm. so I think things that blurred that the line of real and unreal uh, just really creeped me out. Yeah. Now I think that's but not cool. Gizmo. Not Gizmo. I mean, well, Gremlins did scare me when I was a child, but like, um, why would you don't don't do it? Don't feed them after midnight. Don't get them wet. It's easy. Two simple rules. Very straightforward. Two simple rules for. Uh, 
having my teenage gizmo live with, live yes. with you. Yeah. Um, why was there never a Gremlins 3? I think Joe Dante didn't want to do Gremlins 2 even, right? Oh, that makes I think sense. The whole, I think the whole deal with Gremlins 2 is like, oh God, I, I hope I'm getting this right. But I feel like the backstory of Gremlins 2 was like Gremlins 1 was a huge success and the, the studio was like, we really want a sequel. Please do a sequel. And Joe Dante was like, absolutely not. There's no way. Um, and they were like, if you do a sequel, like we'll give you whatever you want. They were like throwing money at him. Um, and he was like, I will do a sequel if I can have complete creative control, like 100% creative control. And they were like, absolutely, done. And they gave it to him, and then he made Gremlins 2, which is like a shambling mess. A, like a fantastic shambling mess. Incredible. But like, I, That's yeah, incredible. Absolutely not like a standard blockbuster That's, horror movie. No. I mean, Gremlins was weird, too, because it, it was, I mean, it was like a teen horror movie, I guess. But yeah. that movie has very confused ideas about what Gremlins represent and who they are and the threat of the outsider and whether or not, you know, you should be afraid of the gremlins or not. But then gremlins right. two just says, no, we don't actually care about any of that. Um, right. And um, we, we have a brain gremlin now and he's very smart and goes on a talk show. Yeah. And we and, have a vegetable uh, gremlin. We have a vegetable yeah, gremlin, a and gremlin. A lady gremlin that, that, lady that gremlin. sexually assaults the doctor from uh, Star Trek Voyager. Oh yeah. That's Picardo, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's Robert Picardo. Wow. Um, Wait, does she sexually assault him or does she kind of like seduce him? Um, I Isn't guess there like one doctor in the movie who's like kind of like looks at the camera and is like, well, why not? I for maybe I'm, I just remember him making a phone call with like kisses all over him and just being like, you gotta get me out of here. Um, mm. But I could be wrong. So, you know, I shouldn't I don't, cast yeah. aspersions like that. I'm not trying to make it excusable <laughs> what the lady gremlin may or may not have done. Listen, but. they're gremlins. They don't have human ethics or morals. You can't hold them <laughs> to true. our, you know, they're going to stab people. They're gremlins. It's like their whole job. Uh, they yeah. destroy, They do two things. They stab people and they just, they destroy planes. Um, yeah. But only if there is a paranoid on the plane. Um, yes. Who won't be listened to when he cries wolf. Indeed. feel like you're inside a plane and you're shouting at people that there's a gremlin on the wing and either no one believes you or they say it's like not that big a deal i don't i feel like often when i am in situations like that i'm just like oh cool thing on the plane look at that guy yeah he's on the wing he's scurrying around out there i wonder what he's up to <laughs> Um, what if it's like a metaphorical gremlin? Like, you know, I wonder if scientists feel this way or, or other people, you know, if there are people who are dealing with these like unimaginably large, like 
societal level challenges, right? Of like all kinds of things. And like they're, you know, I wonder if they feel like they can see this gremlin. It's so obvious. Why why doesn't anyone else want to do anything about it? I would imagine they probably do and are quite freaked out by that. And that seems bad. Yeah. I wouldn't Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I, I, I have any advice for these scientists. Yeah, no, I mean we wish them the best. We do. Um, uh, are there things about that in your life that you feel like you are? No, um, because I feel like I'm probably one of the people who is um, sitting on the plane, like not listening, like trying to not listen to the man and, and sort of putting my headphones on uh, yeah. or being like, that man's crazy. Um, sure. We're probably not doing that, but maybe ordering more peanuts or something. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I... I think it's a very strange time to be a person. Not that there are any unstrange times, I guess, because it's a very strange experience. But um, I was thinking today about how how unnatural, and I don't use that word lightly, um, it is to be exposed to as many people as we are on a daily basis um, Mm. through social media and, you know, how someone can become famous for something stupid they've done even if you know it was warranted uh <laughs> are you thinking about you fartlow i'm thinking about you fartlow and i was just thinking like i don't you know i'm not defending this person but it's wild sure. it's strange to me it's so strange to me that this is someone who is not like a celebrity and it's not someone i, I know much about all i know is that she was, had become like the main character and yeah. um <laughs> And that was very funny to, to say her name because she wrote a whole piece about how she didn't want people to say the name. Um, yeah. But that's not, that's, it's, I don't know that our brains have that enough space to hold that many people. Um, they don't. But I think that's why we like cycle through people. That's why there's one main character of Twitter. That's true. I guess, yeah, I'm just thinking about the scale of like, not to be, not to think like, wow, our time is the most complex time there has ever been and like, whatever, there's more information now than there's ever been before. Like, that's kind of trite, but like, the scope of the world that people are exposed to now feels like unimaginably vast or would have been even like 20 years ago. Hmm. And I don't know what to make of that. It's just very... I just have to step back every once in a while and be like, everyone is figuring this out because it's wild. Yeah, I, I feel like that may be the case, but I think also there is a way in which the flattening of media into like giant properties that has happened, um, and like the kind of the feeling of like. I don't know if end of history is exactly the the vibe that I'm going for, but like I feel like there is less sense that there is like unexplored space mm. than there used to be in previous generations. Um, such that like, you know, we can see what's happening on the internet in all kinds of other places, even if we're not necessarily getting like a real sense of what it actually is like in other places and from other people. Mm-hmm. We're getting like an imagined sense and that 
maybe it's like destroying the mystery of like someone in 1975 who is like i've never been to uh, la i wonder what la is like i wonder Mm -hmm. if it's like you know the little glimpses that i've gotten in movies like it's this whole other weird world to me whereas like now it's everyone has like an idea about what la is because they have you know the, the internet to kind of like show them LA comedians and actors and stuff all the time who are like, right, right. here I am on the beach in LA. <laughs> yeah. I chose a city at random. Sorry, I don't mean any aspersions towards LA. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, yeah, like I think you're so right about that. There is this sense among people that, that oh, that's, you know, every, the sort of the loop has been closed and that everything is, is connected for better or worse in a you know global supply chain in in sort of the the black iron prison in uh whatever metaphor you want to use um and as a result there is like there's this like inevitable sense of like decline and um mm-hmm. and i mean this apart from you know like actual analyses of like imperial decline and and things like that but just this very generalized almost like religious sense of like yeah of course of course things are going to get worse um like that seems to be the air that a lot of people that i know operate in or the, the assumption we operate under and like um it's a not a great way to be um although i understand why people are that way yeah yeah i mean i understand that also yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of that is shaped by your experiences growing up um, and mm. people my age who have gone through like pretty major economic turmoil, um, mm. who, you know, were pretty young when 9-11 happened and um, sort of were the last real generation to experience like a a pre-internet youth um or like you know an early internet youth um there is just this sense i think of like loss and of like just projection into the future of like well everything that i thought was true was like a lie so why should i believe that there will be uh anything better uh coming up yeah i i can see that i feel like but I, I think that the, I guess an option or a way in which that like exact same outlook kind of gives me hope is that like if so much of what we are raised to believe is lies, then it means that like looking back, there were lies the entire time, mm. and like there is power in looking at that and being like. Oh, I was so easily deceived. <laughs> like, right, right. Um, and a thing that I think about a lot is the, um, like when I was in high school, which was in the 90s, um, a friend of mine was a socialist, um, and, like identified as a socialist, which like back then was like right. very quaint to yeah. me. <laughs> um, like it was like someone, it was like my friends who like got into like rockabilly. Right. Like I was like, oh, it's like this old thing. And he's like, 
kind of like exploring this as like a, a fun little thing that like oh you like read some books on this subject and like um and i was like a fuck i was obviously an idiot um mm-hmm. the socialist mm-hmm. is the right was the right one right. um but like i was so blinded at that time by like not only just being a dumb teenager which like i was obviously dumb just by you know virtue of being a teenager but like also the kind of prevailing um political cultural consciousness um was kind of pushing towards encouraging the idea that like obviously this is like a, a system of looking at the world that has failed mm-hmm. and like yes, the neoliberal capitalism is the one that actually you know, makes sense in the real world it's like the practical one with practical value that like actually does you know th- that actually makes everyone's lives better um and i was completely snowed by that yeah um and there's a lot of power, I think, in being able to look back and be like, here are lies that I believed and I was wrong to believe them. And, you know, there's probably many lies that I currently believe. And like, I hope to uncover what those are (laughs) as I keep living. Um, And that can kind of propel us forward individually. Um, It doesn't really, I mean, that kind of outlook, I, I guess, doesn't necessarily say much about what our collective project has to be but like on an individual level i think it's very comforting Mm. to know that like i was once much stupider and um (laughs) i am still undoubtedly very stupid in many ways but like um there are ways that we you know we can keep kind of chipping away at what we Mm. think might be wrong in our brains I think we we got um you know millennials to i don't know what the other term is for like an old gen z or like something um we we got like the end of history lie stuff still right like all that the francis fukuyama oh, yeah. bullshit of like like you were saying of the the sort of liberal uh capitalist consensus and um yeah, not, for people who don't know, that guy, my guy really wrote a book called like The End of History and was like, well, folks, yeah. uh, we did it. We found the best way to organize things. And um, <laughs> uh, we, it's not, nothing's going to change anymore. That's it. Um, yeah. And, and it was a big deal. And people were like, yeah, yeah. I haven't, yeah, I haven't read the actual end of history i only know it by by reputation so i Mm. I hesitate to say too much about exactly what it argues but like i know that yeah it feels like i do know the cultural feeling of like feeling like the um the manufacturing of consent was that like yeah we're here we did it yeah this is the right one right yeah 
I think we've talked about Star Trek before on your uh, previous <laughs> podcast, have we not? Uh, I I believe so, or on um, or on your your old show, right? Oh yes, right. Yes, you were on my Star Trek podcast. Yeah, well, Star Trek. I mean, it was. Let's be real. It's the. It was about the Orville. <laughs> yes. Obviously, the, the superior form. It, you know, it, it lasted longer, and it's still with us today. Um, yeah. Oh boy, it is. It's still like it, they canceled it on. Was it Fox or FX? Um, but now, I guess like there's going to be a third season on Hulu. Hmm. So it's not quite canceled yet. I think it's still holding on by a thread. Oh God. Well, Star Trek. Um, oh, I was just going to say that like it felt very, um, I think one of the reasons that I really like Deep Space Nine, that I, I've mentioned this before on my Star Trek podcast like about 100 to 400 times, is that uh, so much of Next Generation felt like it kind of captured that uh, end of history vibe of like, right, yeah. you know, this is, you know, the, the Federation has some problems, but like ultimately like this is really the best form of government and like we're going to spread through the universe and slowly one by one split planets to, you know, thinking like we do, which is obviously the right, right way to go. Um, and what I love about Deep Space Nine is that it constantly is like, well, here's like a thing that's really messed up about the Federation. And like, if you look at like the actual logic of the show and how they've structured the government and how they've structured their laws, like, mm-hmm. isn't this a problem? You keep seeing things again and again in that show where like they they do a really great job of examining like where are the holes, like where are the like the points of pain mm-hmm. in Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> there's a lot of issues for like the liberal secular kind of like uh society that the the federation has become and uh yeah. Just like um oh well, people aren't don't aren't content to like adhere to the deals that you've made with these other empires and like they they actually are quite upset about it, and uh, they they won't just listen when you say you have to not um, do raids on <laughs> people. Or oh no, it turns yeah. out that some people actually do believe in uh, in things that uh, don't square with you know um, a rational subject according to yeah. the system. And like, what are you going to do about that? Yeah. And uh, the, the the great thing about that show is that all of those people, um, you know, in other shows, I think those issues are sometimes portrayed as like these external challenges that have to be overcome. But like all everyone in that show has like a consistent like motivation or like like integrity to varying extents. But like um, it's just people in conflict, right? It's just people who have different like values and preferences and like trying to find a way to make that work. Yeah. Or I mean, like often I think what is uh, one of the things that I find really compelling about it is like, it's often people who are just saying like, no, I refuse to try to find a way to make that work with other people. Right. I'm the one who's right. (laughs) It's like, well, we have to figure out what to do about that. Right. Like the, I, I think like the, probably like the most compelling hole that is poked in uh, the Federation is the, um, this is a Deep Space Nine spoiler from like, oh God, is it like season six maybe, where they reveal that Bashir, the doctor, 
was genetically engineered when he was a child. Have you gotten that far into the show? Yeah, so he was created um, as a genetic Superman in contravention of the laws around this stuff because the last time they did it, it made a guy named Khan, and um, yes. he was bad news. Yes. According to the Federation. Well, not, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was not, this may sound hair-splitty, but he was not created to be a Superman. He was, in fact, a very slow child. Oh. And they then made him into this like superhuman. Oh, super right. Yes. His yes. dad was like, well, I want my kid to be smart, though. <laughs> um, and then broke a bunch of laws to like get him genetically engineered um, and made his kids smart. And of course, like the Federation has laws against that. And they were like, well, you know, if anyone wants to do that, like we're going to put him in jail and like. I think what Deep Space Nine did very compellingly was have a character that's like, all right, fine. Like, if I have to go to jail, yeah. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do for my family. Right, right. And, like, there's no sense of, like... I I think Next Generation is often very keen to be, like, Mm. to show that person being, like, I see now that what I did was, like for my individual good rather than Mm -hmm. for society's good and next generation er, deep space nine is like a bunch of people being like fuck you no fuck you buddy (laughs) back at each other yeah yeah um and you know people will gravitate towards you know various parties in 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 that but um everyone on that show is so well realized i feel like that yeah um like it makes it yeah it's it's very much like oh wow you both have a point um and there isn't some bullshit solution that we can just like spin out of thin air with magic to make it to make everyone happy um yeah Yeah, i feel like the the biggest lost um opportunity that next generation had was like the um it's like a season seven episode where they realize that warp drive is actually destroying the fabric of the universe. Yes. And they're like, well, we can't go, pa- like, we got to stay under warp five now, which makes everything very boring, uh, unless it's like a true emergency. But like, who knows if like the Romulans are going to adhere to this mm-hmm. and all these other races throughout the galaxy. Like, we might be the only ones who are actually acting in the, the common environmental good. Um, which is like a significant problem. And then like Star Trek as a series just kind of was like, uh, we solved that issue. Never mind. Right. Yeah. Cause, oh, we don't want to rewrite the entire show to be about this. Right. Yeah. Or to like examine what like an actual, what the actual moral quandary to that is. Uh, yeah. Instead they just kind of magicked it away. Yeah. I, um, Something I've been thinking about in connection with Star Trek a little bit is that um, you think about like all of the forms of like consumer technology that exist today. And like, I I feel like people do this thing sometimes where they are like, oh, um, like, you know, science is a a tool of, of capital and exists basically to further that. And so like a lot of scientific ways of knowing can't be trusted. Um, And uh, to some extent, I think 
there is that is totally worth in, like uh, investigating. I also think like you know everything, every piece of consumer electronics and technology we have was created under a system where the goal was to make money, not to connect people and not that people aren't trying to do this, right? Like not that individual designers and whatever aren't trying to uh, build things that, that work for people, but the context that all that production is happening under is just how do we make the most money? Right. Like we have, we have no idea what, what technological development could be like in a society where that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Like, I think that's like really cool to, to think about. Yeah. I uh, was just looking recently at um, like timber beam construction houses, mm-hmm. um, which I guess were like really big in the, it looks like in the 70s um, among uh, kind of like hippie adjacent construction people. Um, and it was, there was a lot of complaining about how our standard stick-built construction techniques where, like, you have studs every 16 inches and drywall on top of that and, um, like, little standard pine studs that are eight feet long, um, that, like, all of this is because of a kind of, like, capital-driven urge to... or move from like individual craftsmen who are like looking at each house mm-hmm. as like an individual, almost like a living thing right, that people yeah. live within um, and more just like, let's pump out houses to, you know, make money and like get things done. Like not necessarily just to like, you know, it's not individual greed that's motivating it, but it's like, here is how we can train low skill workers to make houses that actually stand up. Um, and it's like, it's a very different way of um, constructing than humans did for you know, most of humanity's existence. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to talk to you as always. Yeah, you too. I feel like um, this conversation was like really expansive. Like we started with puppets and ended up at um, at houses. um, Yeah. There are things that you build and things that you interact with. Yeah. Yeah. A house could be a puppet. Yeah. Is a haunted house a puppet? Ooh. That's a great question. Yeah. I mean... Or the house in uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, do you think that has consciousness? Oh, wow. I don't know that I want to think about that. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Where can people find you online? Um, I am on Twitter at cat underscore Beltane. Um, I have puppet videos on YouTube, but I haven't made any in a very long time because my full-time job is parent now. Mm-hmm. Um so I have very little time to do puppet-related things, but uh, there's still, like, old stuff there. It's all very good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the YouTube is uh, Lil Friendies, L-I-L-F-R-I-E-N-D-Y-S. 
but again, there hasn't been anything really updated for years on there. Yeah. If you haven't watched it, though, you should do that. It's a very fun series. Um, well, thank you. Cooking with Carl is, uh, is really great, too. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. No, thank you. Um, yeah. And thank you all for listening. And I will see you next week. K-Hole is a fanbyte.com production hosted by Merritt K and produced by Jordan Mallory. Follow Merritt on Twitter at Merritt K. Follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan underscore Mallory. For more information on puppets who may or may not be in your area, waiting patiently, visit fanbyte.com slash podcasts or go to podcastnet.work.